Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Um, it's hard to believe, but we're already into August. Back to school is everywhere that we look, reminding us that September is just around the corner. But even though we're being bombarded with these reminders, we've still got a solid month left before summer's over. And I am so looking forward to these last weeks before everything starts up again in September. Over the summer, we've been looking at the lives and stories of various people in the Bible in order to see what we can learn about life and about God, and about living our lives for God. Some some of the people that we've looked at are more spectacular than others, but the truth is that each one of these people had no idea that their story would be recorded, and that thousands of years later, we would be reading it and talking about it. They were just men and women and children living their ordinary lives, But along the way, they learned how to hear God's voice and follow it. And as they learned to follow and give their lives to the one true living God who always was and always will be, God used their lives to show us more about how we can do the same. Um, We've spent all of our time so far in the Old Testament, but today we're going to flip forward into the New Testament and take a glimpse into the life of a woman named Martha, who had a sister named Mary. Um, If you've been part of the church for any length of time, it's quite possible that you're already familiar with these two sisters, Mary sitting and learning at the feet of Jesus, taking a place that in Jewish tradition was reserved solely for men, and Martha, the ever-ready host, busy preparing respite, and a meal for Jesus and his disciples, but getting so caught up in the details that she misses the one thing that is truly important. And I'm just going to put it out there that I think that Martha sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap as a busybody or a control freak or even as a complainer. There are these three different interactions that we see between Martha and Jesus Lauren read them for us this morning, but somehow we read through the first one and allow that alone to shape our understanding of the fullness of who Martha is, and I, I feel like I'm probably not the only one in a group of Mennonites who can totally relate to Martha being a doer and, and wanting to serve in very practical ways. Um, And yet, we always hear about Martha in a sort of negative slant. Um, If I were to say to someone, don't be a Martha, many Christians understand that to mean calm yourself, relax, it'll be fine. Um, But I don't think that this interpretation of the story is doing justice to Martha and to the example that her life can be to us. So let's start with what we know about Martha. We don't actually know a lot about her backstory. We know that she had a sister, Mary, and a brother, Lazarus. We know that they lived in a village named Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. And it's interesting to note that we never hear mention of spouses for any of these three siblings. 
which doesn't necessarily mean that they were unmarried. However, in the case of Martha and Mary, living in a patriarchal society, if they were married, it is most definitely out of the ordinary for them to be mentioned here without reference to their husbands. Additionally, the fact that Luke 10, verse 38, mentions Martha as being the one who invited Jesus into her home suggests that it is, in fact, Martha's home, which, again, if she had, was married, um, would have been phrased to indicate that it was actually her husband's home. Um, we don't know how old they were, but tradition tells us that they were contemporaries with Jesus, probably in their late 20s or early 30s. And based on the order that they're mentioned in, it's likely that Martha is the eldest. She definitely reads as an eldest child, um, followed by Mary and then Lazarus. I absolutely love the fact that there are these three siblings who seem so connected in each other's lives and stories. Um, I was talking with some of you prior to the service, and I spent last week with my family at my brother's cottage, my mom, dad, siblings, their spouses and children, all under the same roof again for an entire week. A week at the cottage together is an annual tradition that my mom started when we were just children, and I learned a few weeks ago from my Tante Elvira that it is a tradition that my mom's family held as well as she was growing up, going to the cottage every year together. Um, This is a week that I look forward to every year, but as you can imagine, it's also a week that we all have to mentally prepare for. Being together under the same roof, sharing tight living spaces, preparing meals together, and living life together again for a week. It's always funny to see how we all resort back to the roles that we played in the life of our family as children and how old jokes between siblings are resurrected and somehow just as funny so many years later as they were back then. Um, I love it. We live in a day and an age when so many families are estranged from each other, but there's something beautiful about families staying together and supporting each other through the highs and lows of life. And I'm so thankful for the family that God has given me. And I love that here we read about a family, three siblings whose lives are very connected. And yet just like in our own families, I think it's probably clear that personalities and birth order still comes into play in their story. (laughs) Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are also friends of Jesus, We don't know the context of how this friendship was built, but we see that when Jesus and his entourage of disciples come into Bethany, it's Mary's home that they stay in. In John 11, we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And even though when they learn that Lazarus is sick and his disciples try to persuade Jesus not to go because the Jews there in Bethany had tried to kill him the last time he was in town, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, and he was willing to sacrifice his own safety in order to go to them. So here we've got these three siblings doing life with each other and with Jesus. And one day when Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Bethany, we read about Martha opening her home to him. She makes space available for Jesus and his disciples, and then she heads to the kitchen to prepare a meal for them. And here we learn that showing hospitality is a way to serve Jesus. 
Hospitality is receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, and generous way. And it's something that's commanded by God of his people all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, God told his people that when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And in the New Testament, Jesus teaches that when we show care and hospitality to even the least among us, it's as though we're showing care and hospitality to Christ himself. And, perhaps soberingly, um, we also read that vice versa. When we don't show care and hospitality to even the least among us, it's as though we're not showing care and hospitality to Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus also shows that in our hospitality, um, it is to go beyond just those whom we call friends and needs to extend even to strangers and to our own enemies and those who would harm us. Wow, that is a big kind of hospitality that is definitely not prevalent in our culture and society today. But God's instruction to his followers today has not changed. Showing hospitality is a way for us to serve Jesus. And hospitality is something that you and I can start doing right now. We can open our homes and our lives to others right now. Welcoming people into your life is a gift both to those that you welcome and to yourself. So who are the people in your life that you need to start showing hospitality to? Is there someone that God has been prompting you to connect with? Maybe a family that lives down the street or someone new that you met right here this morning, or a colleague or classmate that you haven't seen in a while. Showing hospitality is a way for us to serve Jesus. And we see that Martha has opened her home to him. Jesus and his disciples make themselves at home there in her living room, and Martha heads to the kitchen to prepare the meal. It's a beautiful thing that she's doing, serving Jesus in this way. But then she realizes that while she's there in the kitchen getting things ready, her sister Mary is just sitting there learning and listening to Jesus with the men. And this is when things start going a little awry for Martha. Martha has a lot going on and needs to work hard in order to show hospitality to Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, is completely unhelpful in Martha's plan for hospitality and chooses to show a different sort of hospitality towards him by listening to his every word. Mary listens to the Lord while Martha provides a welcoming space. I think both of these are valid and are equally important when Jesus comes over. But here we learn a second lesson from the life of Martha. And that lesson is that comparison breeds discontent, and leads to sin. Sadly enough, I can definitely picture how this scene would have unfolded. Maybe Martha starts clearing her throat and sighing loudly a few times to indicate that she could use some help. When that doesn't work, she tries slamming a cupboard door shut just a little louder than necessary in order to get Mary's attention. Still nothing, so she starts stomping around the kitchen, setting the table as loudly as possible, banging the cups and plates into their proper place. Um, It really doesn't take much imagination for me to picture this scene because, sadly, it's one that's played out in my own life on more than one occasion. This scene right here makes Martha so relatable to me. 
I can just hear Martha's frustrated thoughts. How dare she do this to me? My own sister, doesn't she see that I'm doing everything on my own? It can be so easy to get caught up in doing so much for Jesus, resulting in comparison and resentment towards others. Why do I always have to be the one doing this when that person over there never does anything? Has anyone else here ever fallen into this type of thinking? Um, Comparison breeds discontent and leads to sin. Martha was doing a beautiful thing in hosting Jesus and caring for his needs, but something in the story changes. It isn't just about two good ways of showing hospitality. Martha is not content, and the condition of her heart is revealed. Martha provides hospitality, to be sure, but the scripture says that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Martha isn't distracted only by the tasks of hospitality, but she's pulled internally into two different directions because she's working harder than Mary, and she wants Mary to do what she is doing, to fall in line with the social customs of the day, to be just like her. Martha is distracted because she's comparing herself to her sister. The truth is that God works and is at work in every person and in every story, and no two stories are exactly the same. God calls us each to be faithful to the gifts and tasks that he's given to us, faithful to the specific strengths and gifts that he's placed in each of us, and faithful to the specific tasks that he's assigned to each of us. And those look different for each one of us. So it's entirely unproductive to compare God's specific call and role on my life to the call and role that he's given to another brother or sister. And the only thing that this sort of comparison will lead to is a loss of joy in my own faithfulness. Comparison breeds discontent and leads to sin. Is there an area in your life where you've been allowing comparison to breed discontent? Resenting a brother or sister in Christ for the way that they are living out their faithfulness to God. Feeling distracted and alone as you live out your call. Eventually, the injustice of it all becomes unbearable, and what does Martha do? She marches right up to Jesus, seems to interrupt the conversation he's having, and asks, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha doesn't rebuke her sister in front of Jesus. She almost seems to be rebuking Jesus himself for not caring, for not having ordered Mary to go and help her sister an hour before. Lord, don't you care about me? She doesn't ask Mary to help her. She commands Jesus, tell her to help me. Her anger and frustration have taken over, and Martha is entirely out of line. And yet for all of that, I think there's still another lesson that we can learn here, And that is to go to Jesus when you're struggling. Martha easily could have gone that entire evening clanging around like a symbol. The resentment growing in her heart and mind. Resentment for her sister and resentment for Christ himself. Maybe there was a more tactful way for her to air her grievance and make her frustration known. But the fact that she went straight to Jesus shows a wisdom that perhaps she didn't even know that she was acting on. Are there things that you've been holding on to and allowing to fester and grow that you need to bring to Jesus? There's something to be said for knowing who can actually help. 
We can be tempted to share our problems with everyone else, friends, family, neighbors, social media, all of that feeding into the resentment and hurt that we feel, when the wisest thing that we can do is to approach the one who can actually fix things. Martha went straight to Jesus and let him know exactly what she was feeling. And Martha doesn't beat around the bush or make her frustrations seem more palatable. Instead, instead she says exactly what she's thinking. When we come to Jesus, when we pray, we don't have to be concerned about saying the right things or bringing to him only the good things that we're thinking about and going through, presenting only our washed and tidied Sunday best, hiding away the hurt, the pain, the frustration, confusion, and anger. God knows our hearts. Scripture tells us that he knows our thoughts from afar. And when we bring these things straight to him, we allow him to meet us in the pain and frustration, and we allow him to speak truth and provide comfort and to give us a new perspective. Scriptures are filled with prayers of frustration, confusion, and anger, and we constantly see that God meets his children in that. And this is exactly what we see in Jesus' response to Martha. He doesn't rebuke her for coming to him like this. He doesn't respond to her by saying, Unbelievable! Do you know who I am? How dare you come and accuse me, the Son of God? No, Jesus accepts Martha exactly where she is and exactly as she is. And he listens to her whole tirade without batting even an eye. In fact, you can almost hear the tender love he has for her when he says her name, Martha, Martha. He doesn't give in to her anger or perpetuate the line of thinking. He rightfully calls her out on her bad attitude that she's allowed to take over by saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And I think it's important that we get this clear. Jesus didn't tell Martha that her hospitality and work weren't good enough. He recognized that she has been busy working for him, but reminds her that she was letting her outward busyness and activity hinder what is truly important, her relationship with him. Jesus knows and loves Martha. He had accepted and benefited from her generous hospitality before, and he will do so again. It's not the work that she's doing that is hindering her, but rather the attitude that she is allowed to creep in. And it's important for us to always remember the one thing that is needed. That, that one thing is to spend time with our Lord Jesus. We can become so busy doing things, even good things, things that we do in service of God and of others, but if we're doing all of these things at the expense of spending time with Jesus— allowing them to distract us from that one thing that's needed, allowing us to be pulled away from it, then at the end of the day, it will all be for nothing. It'll be for the sake of building our own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. I think often the lessons that we come away from this story with is that the only thing of value is to stop being like Martha and become more like Mary instead. Stop doing things and start sitting at Jesus' feet. And I absolutely love so much of who Mary is. I love that Jesus threw off the social norms and said that a woman 
who had no right to learn from a rabbi could actually come and sit and learn. Her gender did not limit her ability to enter into a space of learning and service in Jesus' new upside-down kingdom. Jesus' invitation and inclusion of her was groundbreaking, and that would not be taken away from her. And it is absolutely important for us to take time and space away from the busyness and activity of life in order to just be in the presence of our Lord, allowing him to teach us and speak to us. But it isn't one or the other. Either we idly sit at his feet learning in his presence, or we allow our busyness to go unchecked and hinder us from communion with Jesus. We don't have to choose between solely being a Mary or solely a Martha. In the 16th century, there was a monk named Brother Lawrence who ran a busy monastery kitchen. And Brother Lawrence wrote, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees. Brother Lawrence did the work of Martha in the kitchen, but had the heart of Mary. There is this third way of being a person who stays in the busyness of life, but transforms it into holy action. In all things, we need to remember the one thing that is needed. Colossians 3 verse 23 tells us that whatever we do, we are to work at it with all of our heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And Ephesians 6 verse 7 says to serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. The lesson here isn't to stop being busy, but to always remember the one thing that is needed— to let our daily work, caring for our our families, keeping house, the work you do at your place of employment, every moment of every day, becoming holy moments where we're sitting at the feet of Jesus in the midst of the work that we do. Brother Lawrence encouraged others to think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. God is always near you. And with you. Jesus' words to Martha were an invitation to join him alongside his sister and her sister. And this scenario ends here. We don't actually read about how Martha responds to Jesus' gentle rebuke, but the fullness of her story doesn't end here. And Martha seems to have accepted Jesus' invitation to become a disciple because in the next story from her life, she shows faith theological understanding, and a close relationship with Jesus. In John 11, Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is very sick, and Jesus delays responding to to the sisters' request that he heal their brother, who died before Jesus arrives. When Martha hears that Jesus is getting close, she runs out to meet him, boldly saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says this in true Martha fashion. Um, But then she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus tells her that her brother will be raised up, and she offers her knowledge. I know he he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus teaches her more and gives her hope. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. Do you believe this? He asks her. 
And Martha's statement of understanding is powerful. Yes, Master. All along, I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. I think we often miss the significance of Martha making this statement. She is the second person that is recorded as having made this declaration of Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah. Peter is the only other person who so far has recognized this truth and made this declaration. Martha sees Jesus for who he is, the hope of the world, and has chosen to follow him and put her trust in him. She remembers the one thing needed. And in the final story from Martha's life, she hosts another meal for Jesus. In John 12, verses 1 to 3, we read that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took it about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The mention is short. At the dinner, Martha served. Mary is again at Jesus' feet, while Martha is again serving. This time, though, the serving is done with the right attitude as service to her Lord. It's celebratory, not stressed. This time, Martha doesn't stop Mary. They each serve the master in their own beautiful way. And I think that Paul's words in Romans 12 sum up the lessons that we can learn from Martha. This is a passage that I read and reference often in both my own life and here in the church. And today I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message. Um, and I'm going to read the entire ch chapter of Romans 12. It's up on the, on the screen so you can follow along. Um, and as I read... Um, and as we, we look at Paul's words um, to the church in, in Rome, let's take this message to heart and let's see the connections and, and, yeah, with both our own lives and with what we know about Martha. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it is important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. 
The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were meant to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in the hard times, but pray all the harder. Help needy Christians and be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back, but discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that that the fullness of our story isn't summed up in one situation or one scenario, that when we're at our worst, that's not actually the end of our story, but that you work with us in every part of our lives and who we are. And God, that when we seek you, when we come to you, when we hold tightly to the one thing that's important, which is you, that you are at work making us a new creation, transforming us, that the old is gone and the new has come. And God, I thank you for Martha, who lived so long ago, who sought you and went to you even in her frustration and in her hard times. And God, I thank you that you loved her. And so I thank you that that can be an encouragement to us as well, that you see and know each one of us and you love us. And so, God, you know each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. You know our hearts. You know the things that we're going through right now in our lives. And, God, I, I, I pray that as your children, each one of us would, would open our hands to you, that we would release the things we've been holding on to, that we would come to you and struggle through things with you in order to seek you and follow you closely and nearly. Yeah, and God, I thank you that that you desire nothing more than for us to come to you and be in your presence. 
whether that looks like us sitting at your feet and learning from you, or whether that looks like us in every moment of every day being aware of your presence around us and pressing into that. God, I I thank you that you are at work around us in all of it. And I pray that you would teach us more and more how to be aware of you at work in our lives and in the world. That we would be the ones who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see the things that you're doing. That we would be the ones who would say yes to it and walk in faithful obedience to you. That we would be people who practice hospitality in in every area of our lives. And God, you you have created each one of us differently. And so I thank you that, that we aren't all called to the same tasks and the same role, but that each one of us has a specific task and call from you. And so, God, you have prepared good works in advance for each one of us, and I pray that each one of us will be faithful in, in taking up the role that you've given us to play, that as we give our whole lives to you, that we would see you at work in ways that can only be explained through, through you. Yeah, God, I thank you for the way that you work in our lives. I thank you that you are at work in this beautiful and broken world that we live in. And thank you that you call us to be present in in bringing healing to that brokenness and light to that darkness. And so, God, I thank you again for each one of my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that as we continue to worship you and then go from here, that, yeah, that every part of this ne- this day and this next week would be... Um, yeah, just time spent with you. Yeah, thank you for welcoming us into your presence here this morning, and thank you that that invitation doesn't end when we leave here, but that you continue to invite us into your presence in every moment. And God, I thank you as well that it's only through your sacrifice that that we can even come to you. So God, I thank you that... It's in your name that we pray and that we can have faith that you hear us. So in your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.